You are listening to the Shot Caller Podcast with Casey Diaz and Joel Needler. You can find us online at uh, Casey Diaz Author on Facebook, uh, The Shot Caller Book on Instagram, and on Twitter at The Shot Caller BK. That's at The Shot Caller BK. You can also find us at CaseyDiaz.net and send an email to info at CaseyDiaz.net. That's info at CaseyDiaz.net. We're going to have a good time. Uh, today we have with you um, as a guest here uh, on the Shot Caller Podcast, uh, Sean Leggett. Um, tell us about you before we bounce to our next guest, because there's three of us in here. Yeah. Um, so my name is Sean Leggett, and I just actually moved to Los Angeles last September to be with our daughter and our son-in-law and um, our new uh, grandbaby. Her name is Jovi. And so we are proud grandparents, and I'm loving every bit of it. Um, my wife and I, we had a church back home in North Carolina, Raleigh, and so we um, sold our house, sold everything, passed on our ministry to a wonderful um, couple, and we came west. And so we're here now, and we're just um, kind of getting our feet planted and just seeing what the Lord's going to do, you know, in this next season as far as ministry-wise. Amen. Amen. Uh you just said grandfather. I know. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, how old are you? <laughs> None of your business. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's one of those. Because <laughs> you look like you're 32, <laughs> by the way. For reals. <laughs> In order for me to answer that question, there's a long story attached. So we'll just say unknown right now. Unknown right at the present time. <laughs> yeah, and then we have uh, Enrique Leon. What's up, brother man? Uh, What's happening? What's cracking? What, what's what's happening with you? Uh, what do you do? What you know? Well, uh, my name is Enrique Leon, and I've been born and raised here in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, my uh, profession is in uh, digital marketing, so communications. Um, so working with um, a lot of faith-based uh, nonprofits, uh, getting their uh, marketing games up, and um, uh, associate pastor at a local church here, and uh, you know, just trying to share my perspective. That's cool, man. And you know, there's a lot going on. You know, that's obvious, right? Um, but Cho I want chose, chose the right time to come uh, to L.A. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? I know, right? <laughs> Good timing on that. <laughs> I guess I'm not really a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we have such of, um, and it's California. This is the thing. It's like the melting pot of, of anywhere, of, of the United States, really, right? I mean, nobody has the amount of diversity like Los Angeles, you have everything. I mean, you you walk, you know, three four blocks away, you're in Little Ethiopia. You head, uh, you know, east, and you're in uh, Koreatown. There's there's it's just like everything is here, and um, you decide to move. How's that experience? I mean, you know, because everything was cool. I want to kind of backtrack before you actually yeah all, all the craziness happens. What does that look like? Are you enjoying yourself at that at this time? Yeah, so it was definitely um, a culture shock. You know, I come from, like I said, Raleigh, North Carolina. And unfortunately, you know, that world is a very black and white world. It's the South. It's the Bible Belt. And so moving here, um, experiencing all the different cultures, just like you said, out your doorstep, was really great because I that's just my heartbeat. Um, and so coming here, you know, we were able to 
kind of get, you know, get an apartment, kind of get used to all the things like traffic <laughs> and understanding that, that, you know, in North Carolina, nine miles equals nine minutes. Not here. Nine no. miles is like 25 minutes. <laughs> you might get 30 in there, <laughs> yeah. just depending. Um, so just getting used to, to all of that and just all the different dynamics, you know, yeah. and, and all of the, 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 un, the spoken and unspoken culture of L.A. Yeah. And, you know, so you, you came here with your wife. Yeah, with my beautiful wife. Yep. And um, what, what is she? What nationality is she? So she's Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican. Yeah, so. You know, what? Yeah. Why does that matter, Casey? Because just. It does. It does. Okay. All right. I'm just <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's. I mean, there's songs written about them. You know? Butter pecans, Puerto Ricans. <laughs> you heard that, right? That's the yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. but, I've never heard that. <laughs> man, got to li- listen to more uh, worldly songs. Um, but no, uh, <laughs> you know, that there's, there's, there's that, and and so you guys are enjoying yourself. You settled into a church yep. uh, for a minute, and, and then met some new friends. I met Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I met you uh, through re- work, yeah. through, uh, worship through worship walk. We had just uh, um, you know been there our, ourselves, and and um, I think I don't know how you ended up getting a hold of my book somehow. And well, we, well, Cinemahead came uh, a Sunday before her and I came together. Okay, and that particular Sunday, you just happened to be preaching, Got it. and so that's how we discovered you, the book, and then we immediately. You know, went and got the book and, um, you know, read it through pretty quickly. And then obviously, you know, we met Enrique. And um, so, yeah, so it's just been a friendship that was unexpected, you know, for me that I'm grateful, you know, that's kind of yeah. sprung up since I've been here. My condolences on meeting Enrique. But um, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's quite a, um, hey, you, know, you got to have a taste for him. When Casey, <laughs> was, when Casey was preaching, was he preaching on the Bible or his book? No, he was preaching. He was preaching from an iPad. Oh, right. Oh, wow. <laughs> if you know me out there, uh, no. <laughs> There's no iPads in my uh, pulpit. Uh, but, but so, you know, so everything's normal, right? Yeah. Everything's normal. And then we have an incident. You know, uh, we have the George, um, George Floyd, Floyd uh, incident where police officer puts his knee on there and then there's three other police officers that are kind of just standing there uh the other police officer has his knees or holding down uh his uh yeah his knees and legs and then you have an asian uh police officer that's just pretty much just standing there kind of like yeah doing that absolutely nothing um and you have a crowd that's watching someone slowly die and that is what happened uh and i don't want to say no let me change that he didn't slowly die he was slowly killed murdered yeah that's you know there's a difference between killing and murdering i don't know if the but i'll even let you know now uh when you kill somebody it's usually that word is usually used when you are defending yourself and you have to you know it's either you or the other party and if you're defending yourself, you killed somebody. Um, if you are causing bodily harm to the point of death, then that is called murder. And this is what uh, Mr. Floyd, um, this is how he passed away. He was murdered uh, by a police officer. And, um, and you know, one of the interesting things is that, you know, you kind of sit down and you kind of look at this whole thing, right, and 
one of the things that that I actually uh, I gotta say uh, a large volume of America saw it the same way. It was murder. Um, it was um, police officers that failed to do their job. Um, it was police officers that you know they really messed up. I mean they 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 murdered somebody and. When law enforcement, and this is the, what I actually liked is that law enforcement at large condemned it almost immediately, you know, uh, and and then of course uh, they were they they were not uh, charged immediately, they were not uh, suspended immediately. It, it kind of rolled over for I think I want to say like two or something something almost close to three weeks before anything was even done. And I think that's what really angered um, the public at large here in America. Um, how was your How was your reaction initially to watching the video, number one, and then, um, because something followed right after that, but I want to touch it on, on the first phase of it. Yeah, so for me, for those that are listening, I am a, a black American. Um, so, you know, when I see that when I saw that when I or I've seen the many ones that came before it there is always that sense of anger sense of frustration the sense of lack of humanity um, that keeps moments like that from happening and so you have the act of the officer and you have the act of those standing around but then you have the fact that nothing was done while he was murdered. And so you battle within yourself the cry for justice. And so it was very difficult. I was, it, it took me probably three weeks to come out of where I was. Um, love Jesus. He's my Lord. All that stuff. But I, I needed to process this and I didn't need to repress it. And um, so it was three, it, it was three weeks. It's been three weeks of coming out of a space where I can talk. And um, I couldn't really talk to, to my wife. And um, I actually posted, I said, you know, if you're, if your husband or brother or son or nephew, whoever, if they're quiet, just let them be because they just need to process this. And, and I think that's a smart thing to do. You know, um, sometimes we, we try to answer things like right, just too, too quick, too too yeah. soon. And we tend to say the wrong things uh, or we uh, become very irrational or we allow our emotions to get the best out of us. And sometimes we regret what came out of our mouths later on. And we kind of, I think everybody goes through those phases in, in different circumstances. Enrique, for you, uh, what was that like? Like, you know, you're uh, uh, Mexican-American. Um, you watched it. What were your thoughts? Well, I think it's, uh, first and foremost, I think it's very uh, interesting and very necessary to have this conversation, <clears throat> I think, now. I think uh, there's definitely been a lot of conversations that have been happening over the last, you know, few weeks. Um, but it almost feels like, you know, instead of, of trying to 
get out and, and, and get something out first, it's always better to kind of take a step back, think about it, analyze it, see how things are progressing. And, you know, um, very, I would say not so early on, but maybe a few weeks in, I actually had a conversation with Sean about it since, uh, you know, I lead a, a, a Bible study on Fridays. Uh, we're doing it through Zoom now. But, you uh, um, and I wanted to talk about this, but I didn't want to do it in the same way that everyone else was kind of doing it, which is like, you know, oh, well, let's talk about, you know, you know, uh, police brutality and all these different things. I really wanted to come at it from a biblical perspective, but I also didn't want to be uh, uh, insensitive um, to the feelings of, of specific communities that, that, that were, like, like Sean said, in, in, a, in, a, in a place where they weren't really, um, um, I, don't want to, I don't want to say they weren't ready, but it's just they're, they're, they're going through emotions that may uh, be misinterpreted uh, if, if somebody comes and says, well, you know, well, this, the Bible says this and this and this, and, and you know, it, it's, not, uh, it's not biblical for you to be feeling like this. Like, you can't, you can't come at it that way. Yeah. You have to yeah. give it some time to kind of as well. So, so I really wanted to be wise about how I wanted to talk about um, this issue. Um, and I think that one of the things, you know, that, that I really feel is that a lot of, you know, churches, you know, and, and I mean, there's a lot of ways to, to, to say it, but I would say like a lot of the celebrity pastors, you can say, um, yeah. I feel like they came, they came at this uh, um, maybe in the wrong way, in my opinion. Uh, there wasn't, I was hearing a lot of voices, um, but I, but I was not hearing, you know, the Bible uh, being um, referenced at all. Yeah. This was kind of just, uh, you know, that's that's the one perspective that I wasn't really hearing in the mainstream. Now I'm sure it was happening in, in you know in, in smaller areas, but I think it was definitely a perfect storm um, with you know this 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 shutdown. Um, so so pastors have a limited. Uh, they had limited access to their congregation. They had limited access to face-to-face -face conversations. Um, and for the past month, they were entrenched uh, in in social media to the point where I feel like everyone felt social media was, you know, whatever's happening on social media was the reality. Yeah. And I think that, that was a mis that's a mistake because when you, when you react to what you see on social media, um, you know, it's not always the most accurate representation of of culture, let alone your specific church. So I feel like a lot of pastors came out and they they needed to they needed to to um, they needed to calm the storm, uh, but they were trying to to calm the storm of, of of culture of society instead of trying to calm the storm of their church and looking out for their congregations because they hadn't seen their congregations for so long that yeah. they I think they missed the cue of what was necessary and what was important and what was relevant for their, for their churches. You know, I saw a lot of pastors who were, you know, talking about injustice and all these different things. And, you know, and I know for a fact that, you know, they don't have multicultural uh, mm -hmm. congregations. So then who, who are they, who are they talking to? Are they, are they trying to get, you know, uh, mass attention on a, on a national scale because they weren't talking to their church congreg congregants, uh, you know? So they, I, I feel like, during this whole thing, um, a lot of leaders in the church uh, kind of, you know, uh, took the easy route um, and 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 started to um, to um, how do you say they they started to just mimic what other 
you know, a yeah. pastor was doing. And I feel like that happens a lot, especially in the celebrity pastor sphere. You know, it, it's almost like they they use other pastors' social media as validation. So it's like, oh, if they if they posted this and they posted that, well, then it must be okay for us to post. And then they start, yeah. you know, piling on and trying to amplify that message, which, which you know, the message of injustice and, and all that, they're not bad messages. I just I just feel like a pastor's role and duty is to do what's best for their their specific context and their specific congregations. And I feel like uh, a lot of things that happened during this whole thing, you know, as somebody who works, you know, professionally in, in, in marketing and communications, uh, you really have to take into consideration the audience uh, that you're trying to reach and the audience and the message that you're trying to reach. And I just think that a lot of these, um, you know, uh, leaders in the church just got it wrong, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's... Because I think dynamics uh, plays a big role in what took place, too, because we were in the middle of a shutdown, uh, a global shutdown. Um, so it's not like you could go to church the next day and, you know, really, you know, run into uh, you know, other Christians from different races, different ethnicities. And kind of you couldn't be real with somebody because you, yeah you were afraid that it would gonna you know get misinterpreted yeah. or, or come off as mm-hmm. as as insensitive or these kinds of things whereas in in the church if I would have ran into somebody and be like hey what do you think about this you know people are more likely to give you their real opinions yeah. when there's no there's nobody recording it obviously yeah, yeah. And, and so you know so here you are you you Sean you you take a few weeks. You allow it to kind of mm-hmm. almost like simmer in in all this, and and then draw up you know what's left of you know because emotionally that's got to be draining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you ever been mad, and every one of us has been angry or furious, of uh, I've as, never been angry you know. in my life. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, <laughs> yeah, because, you know why? Because his wife can cook really good. That oh, is true. Yeah. Can't get mad at that. That is true. But, you know, um, it, it takes a while, man. And we've all been in those stages where we're furious at someone at something that, or someone that wronged us. And it takes a, a minute, you know, um, to, to really settle down and, and, and kind of like, all right, I, I want, because first of all, we, we and, and I shared this with you when we were talking here uh, about a week ago, yeah, you know, before we're anything, we're believers, we're Christians, and so I think uh, you know uh, you're a pastor. Um, I'm a pastor as well. Um, so is uh, Enrique. And what we say in the the view of public could be almost gospel, yeah. You know, and it could be the wrong thing, and that's not even us. It could just be us in the moment. But when they hear it from a leader in the community, it's like gospel truth, and it could be interpreted the wrong way. So you're you're sitting in for about three weeks, and and, and when do you decide? All right, I, I need to say something. I need to like kind of like vent, or or I just want to I want to talk. Uh, you know, I, I think it happened. Let me correct something. I think it happened over the course of the, the three weeks, but. It was just very sporadic and very short. And so, you know, when Enrique called me, um, I was glad that he called. 
um, because what he had said and what he just, you know, just articulated just a few minutes ago is completely accurate. Um, I agree 100% with what, what he was saying. And so I think that, you know, for me, it was talking with, first of all, I talked to my children because they needed to hear my perspective. They needed to hear God's perspective. Um, you know, we have, Cinnamon and I have five children. We're a blended family. So her, her children How are, old are you? <laughs> none your business. Oh, I'm going to get you there. Um, um, uh, and, and so, you know, so, so her, her three kids are half Puerto Rican yeah. and half Bahamian. So from the Bahamas. So okay. that's, so, but in naked eye, they look black. My children are half black and half white. But if they are going down the street, they look black. And so I'm having to have a discussion with our children about what has happened. Um, so I'm, I'm having to process while they're processing. Yeah. And some of it <clears throat> meant that I had to be kind of honest where I was so that they could see that it was okay for them to be where they were. Um, so that's where the communication began with, with my children and with my wife and then with my mother and then you know, my father and my brother, like that, that inner circle. And then as I was able to communicate with them, I was able to formulate the words that I, that I wanted to say, because again, I'm, I'm processing out loud and inwardly. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it was progressive to where today I feel like I can talk about it without having, any sort of sting to it. And in that way, then I'm able to really communicate ultimately God's heart yeah, and, and what his desire is as he's reconciling the world to himself. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's important what, what you mentioned just, just even a minute ago uh, when you said, you know, it's important for my kids to know how I was processing it and the, why I strongly believe that that's number one, very important is because, for, for me, I've always looked at people for who they are um, as far as, you know, it, it, sometimes in the body of Christ, um, in, in the church uh, as a whole, we, we tend to be, uh, I'm going to say it, we tend to, 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 to play this role of where it, everything's neat. Absolutely. And we try to not step on somebody's toes. We try not to, and 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 I think it's a phony way of we're, really. We're, you know, well, we're we're actually repressing what we actually believe. Yeah, and, and what we're feeling. What we're feeling. And and I think that I think more harm is done when you're not being you, and it's important. Even like with uh, uh, with Enrique when when he, when you shared about these uh, you know celebrity pastors, I guess we call them that. But you know, um, it, it's like I, I, to me, it irritated. It, it irritated me in the sense that I, I just look. I, I've been, and I say this a lot. I've been with the best thieves, liars, and schemers in the state of California. Are we still talking about celebrity pastors? <laughs> you know, I, I've been with the best of them. You know, I, I've been in, in, in lockup in level four yards with, um, you know, people that are, that they're connivers. 
and you could smell them. And I, the, the, the last thing that I want to be is around someone that, that just ain't being true to the game. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'd rather you be you than you try to act a, a certain way around me when you see me. I'd rather Sean be Sean. Right. And, and we could still remain friends. And I think the dialogue is, has been lost across these moments, you know, in, our, in life. Um, in the church, because we don't want to be who we truly are. You know, I I, I think that um, I think we don't know what we believe or how we feel until certain moments happens, yeah, or certain crises happen, and we realize like, holy smoke, where did that come from? Yeah, and you kind of like uh, I I kind of in those moments I like personally I go I I. I I catch myself and I go, God's not done with me. Absolutely. I'm so like far away from him right now, just in the way that I'm putting these thoughts together in my own head, you know? Um, but, but there you are and, and you're, you're sharing it with your, with your kids. Um, and, and at the same time, you're dealing with what's going on in your mind and your heart and hold on yards. And one of the things that I captured is when you actually did a post uh, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And um, t- talk to us about that. Which one? Uh, I think it's the initial one where you actually came what? on. I you I think it was live. Okay. Um, so it might have been the one that, so it was probably sat- Sunday morning because Saturday night, it was the big, it was the biggest riot at the time where like they had burned down yes, buildings. It, yeah. And I, and I was on Melrose. Yeah. So it was the day before that, I think, or two days before that. Where you came in, something like that. So I'll describe the one. Maybe I'm thinking. Maybe it's the same one. So then you can maybe tell it me. Is. Maybe yeah, you yeah. can tell me that it's not. So, um, so the Sunday after that weekend where Los Angeles just got wrecked, yeah, um, I felt compelled to go down onto Melrose and to try to help shop owners clean up, yeah. and also to see the devastation that was created because I wanted to see it. Me personally, I needed my eyes needed to see if if God has brought us here via my Jovi, my granddaughter. No, I would not reveal my age. Um, <laughs> granddaughter. Um, How is that um, possible? <laughs> um, but but the Lord used her to bring us here. Yeah. I needed to feel what the city was feeling. And so I, I wanted to, so I got out and I walked up, walked down Melrose wanting to help people clean up, to help shop owners clean up. And um, I asked several shop owners and they didn't want my help. And I understood, I, I understood exactly why they felt the way they felt, um, you know, because they had been violated. Yeah. And all of their hopes and dreams and all those things that they had been building was gone overnight. You know, and so I felt like not just as a black man, but as a as human a, being, but as a human being and, and as a follower of Jesus. Yeah, that I, I that's what I felt led to do. And but I was turned away, you know, a few times. And so and I was OK with that. Um, but I did a live in which I just shared what I had saw and how angry that I was. But I had to hold process the anger but confess that he's Lord. Yeah. 
at the same time because it was only in that confession that he's Lord that I can allow myself to pick up my own cross and not judge what I'm seeing because it's very easy for me to say you're wrong. Sorry. You're wrong. You're right in these moments. But again, I didn't want to be in that space. I just wanted to just absorb what was happening and then allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does best, which is work on the heart. Yeah. I think think that that's definitely a, a disciplined position to hold because most, I, I would, I would say most people, even, you know, believers, that's not their, in, that's not their first instinct. Their first in, instinct is to, you know, react and, and, you know, add on the, uh, the social media validation of your feelings. And it, it, it feels good to just jump right in and not have that consideration um, to allow, you know, God to, to guide your next steps, you know, and I, and I'll tell you that, I don't know if it was that post or a different post, but the, the one that really spoke to me was when you mentioned something about how people are, are, are speaking, uh, speaking with you oh, yeah. and, the, and the distinction between people who are speaking up with you and speak and people who are speaking for you. Right. And, and when I heard that, I said, I said, here, here's a, here's a, here's a guy who, who has every right, you know, to 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 be as emotional and as transparent as he as he can be, and even in that, you were recognizing that that there are people who are, in a way, uh, taking advantage of this situation to elevate their platforms, and I, and that and, and that I think is 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 also yeah. an injustice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's happening within the church. We saw it. We we saw it happen within the church. And so, you know, my my thought was, you know, how how are we having these conversations when the church is segregated? So that so that so so you're now having the topic, Mm. but your congregation is all white. Yeah. Or even all 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 black black. or all Hispanic or Hispanic. Or how about the churches that have the one black guy and. You know, right. they were they were, you know, set up for the interview. Right. And 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 in in the black community, that's called a token. Hmm. You know, it's, you know, you know, you know, you're the token. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that particular interaction, something can't come out of it. It's not doesn't mean that's not powerful. Yeah. But if a black person looks at it. Or maybe anybody would look at yeah. it, we would just say that was a token. Yeah. Because you really weren't having a dialogue entire time prior to this right so so it's very important um it it would be like me jumping on the bandwagon of sex trafficking we all know how horrible that is but it's not in my wheelhouse of experience so for me to jump on and have a conversation as if i've been in the struggle all along is inconsiderate for those who have been in the struggle yeah you know, I, I, and and I'll say this because you know me, I I, I don't hold back not because I want to you know create um, a, a conversation piece, but you know I I was looking at um, that one interview that started bouncing all over the social network with um, these two pastors and they're they're both pretty well known, 
Um, name names. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna try to remember the name. <laughs> oh, uh, 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 Gray. That's called getting just, old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, How Gr- old exactly? How old? <laughs> yeah, that's to you. <laughs> he, he, he's older than me. <laughs> <laughs> he's older than me. Uh, Gray and um, and uh, uh, oh, Furtick. Furtick. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, I'm watching this, and I, I actually got a a, a, a wince of, of just the beginning of it. And I think I watched it for maybe I don't know, ten minutes. In a, and this is that one interview. To me, it was just I didn't agree with it in many different levels. One because it, it was almost like what you just mentioned. Like you haven't talked about this once, and now this is your opportunity. You're already famous, and and I get it. You have a platform. You have a platform, and so this is the perfect time, you know, to have this conversation. And what I saw was almost like a, it, it was like a pandering that I saw uh, that was happening right on that stage in th- those two seats. Um, I saw Gray b- being very upset, and I get it. You know, you have the right to be upset. But in the same in the same breath, when 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 what I don't agree with with what he said was it, it was almost like he had been a victim when we all know that he's very successful. It's very successful. Not and, and that not to cut short that you know if something happens to you personally, you know um, does that affect you? Of course it does. But I think that when when you've reached a level of success, people kind of stop looking at you a certain way because success does that to you. You know, one of the things that success draws is attention, right? I mean, you know, uh, I could be uh, I could be as ugly as ugly can be, and you are. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> you open the I door. Knew, I knew he was going to say that. You open the door. <laughs> but if you see me in a Bentley, right? If I'm riding in a Bentley. All of a sudden, with a custom-made suit, you look a lot different, right? Two per- you look two percent cuter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking maybe like more more than a half, but you know, but, you know because success. It, it, at that point, you're driving into it with a right. Bentley somewhere. You're not looked at as the other guy down the street. You're looked at differently, and and I I kind of like you know. It, it, I just had to turn it off. I so let me like, just jump in and say this. Yeah, yeah. That I think that that is true. This is not an excuse. Yeah. But that is true. But he's still black. Yeah. In a society that even as you ascend that that those levels, you still met with the same thing as if you were living in the projects. So... Not saying that I'm not not justifying him. What I'm saying is, is that success will will not always keep us from the things that we have to deal with when it comes to the color of our skin. And you mentioned something that that I actually liked um, um, when we were hanging out. There's a difference between prejudice and racism. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. They're not the same thing. And I think that. How do you how do you know when somebody's being racist against you? And 
how do we know when somebody's being prejudiced, you know, when they're looking at us? Enrique? And which one is less sinful? <laughs> like, <laughs> He's going to take the, the easy route, this guy. <laughs> Hold on, let me Google this real quick. You guys keep talking, I'm going to Google this real quick. <laughs> like a good marketing guy. <laughs> so, 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 not, so prejudice, sometimes we all have it. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be coming to, to color someone's skin. We <clears> all <throat> have implicit biases. Yeah. You know, you know we favor certain things. The problem is, is that when that which we are, that which we tend to be biased towards becomes elite in our behavior, in our perspective. So, um, so when you begin to think that your, who you are and your color of your skin puts you above everyone else, then you're moving into an arena of racism, elitism. Um, where everything else is beneath you, everyone is beneath you. Those that have a tendency to express racist behavior and racist thoughts and racist communication, all it, it will always have a certain level of elitism attached to it because you have to put yourself above another to then make the other feel subservient to you. So that's different than like I'm walking down the street in the middle of the night, I see Casey coming at me with the Raiders jersey. I cross the street to avoid him. Am I being racist or am I being prejudiced or, you know? I, I, well, I mean, I. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, those that are I'm Hispanic, he's Hispanic. I don't know if you can be racist of your own race. I think, you know, and coming to this interview, I actually, those were thoughts that were racing through, like, since we booked the, the interview. I thought about this, and, you know, uh, and you know this, it, there's even racism in, within the Hispanic community. Oh, yeah, like you're Salvadorian. Yeah, and it's, you know, and, and, and <laughs> you you're know, Mexican, I mean, and, you know, and we've been going at it for We all know, we ages. all know which one You know, had better food. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that exists, even in that culture. If it wasn't you know, for pupusas, you guys will have nothing. <laughs> wow, this guy! You guys got that one. That's it. Hey, can somebody? Can it, is that a Stanley over there? Uh, <laughs> wow! But you know, uh, th this it, it happens even yeah, within absolutely. our own circles, within yeah. the black circles, it happens. And and so, how do we like? I think making the mistake of because somebody could be prejudiced, and and I think sometimes we give we give, I don't want to say the right, but maybe the okay for people to, to, to see us in a certain way. I think that, you know, we, we, we open the door for other races or, or, or cultures, whatever you want to call them. We give them the open door to, to see us in certain ways. You know, for instance, you know, and this is something that happened to my mom. And, you know, and I'll share it here. My mom's been robbed by four times. Uh, three at gunpoint, one at knife point. All of them happen to be black dudes. I remember the last time that this happened. I picked her up at the, at the house. I knew that she was uneasy. Uh, I knew something was wrong, you know, and she was too quiet. And my mom's very, like, She's just, you know, she's like five foot tall, 
you know, like she's like one inch away from like, you know, being a, a small person. And it, it's true. <laughs> and, and, um, and I remember I was, I was driving, I was bringing her home uh, so, so she could spend some time with us, not knowing what had happened. And I saw the uneasiness in her and I said, you're right. And she said, I- I'm just mad. And I said, you know, and she's a believer. So not that believers don't get angry, but, you know, I, I said, what, what's going on? She goes, last night, uh, um, they, they robbed me at gunpoint. I said, what? Uh, again? She said, yeah. I, I said, uh, what was it? Uh, who robbed you? Two black guys. And they put a gun to my face. And I said, as a son, anger, immediate. As a pastor, immediate anger. But here's, and I, as God is my witness, I wasn't angry at a a black population. I was angry directly at those two cowards that put a gun at my five-foot mom. I was angry at them. And I tried to, you know, I contained myself. I was angry at those two dudes. Not once, not even once did I think they're all like that. Not even once did I think I want to get my hands on one and and see how they handle me. Not even once. I think the idea would be that you're a much better person that's able to compartmentalize that and most other people if if that event alone does not create a stereotype then that it at least contributes or or uh justifies a belief that you already have and i think that's that's probably the the a, a majority of of people would would feel that way but, but you know what i'm trying to get across is as believers there there has to be that where if someone of whatever color wrongs us that and i think that comes with maturity i think that comes with growth and i'm not saying that i'm like you know i glow in the dark that's not what i'm saying but i think that there's there's growth that happens along the way where someone can do something and you don't look at the whole entire absolutely race like that absolutely you know and i think that's important as believers the world that we discussed last week, the world, I, I, it doesn't concern me. How the world reacts to things, how the world talks, how they behave is to no surprise. And it shouldn't be surprising to the to the church. Yeah, It should not be surprising. I hope you're listening to this. Well, it's not only necessary, it's actually biblical. I mean, if exactly. you look at the, most people focus so much on injustice yeah. that they forget about looking at biblical justice, yeah. not injustice. If you're not able to recognize injustice, biblically speaking anyways, until you know what biblical justice is. Yeah. And and it does need to be direct. It's it's it's, it's and, and taught. Know, oh yeah. In, in our pulpits. It, I think it's you know and this is where I think like the church has failed. It's failed to equip the saints on issues that cause growth spiritual growth inside of us to where we don't, you know, I, I'm not, I make mistakes. You right. do too. Right. 
All of us here he, do. He doesn't. He doesn't? No. Well, he claims he doesn't. <laughs> I'm perfect. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't see you in, in, in that incident at all. Right. You're Sean. You're someone that, that's a friend of mine. Right. More than a friend because right. we're in the body of Christ. You're, you're a brother in the Lord. I don't put that into that connection because it's not connected. So when when I see like, you know. I think that's the problem with the, I, I, I see what you're saying about, you know, the, 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 the pastors who were talking and the, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that another thing that really annoyed me is the, the, the constant um, the constant reminder from these you know from from people of, of leadership is is they kept telling me over and over and over and over you're a racist you're a racist you're a racist and you know I kept thinking to myself you know am I a racist I, I mean I, I, I started questioning myself <laughs> well I mean all these all these people keep talking to me like if I'm yeah. a racist and 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 the fact that I didn't know I was a racist now I'm I'm aware that I'm a racist so now I need to basically you know, atone for the sins that I didn't know that I had. And I think that that's the problem um, with with not taking into consideration your audience yeah. uh, when you're when you're talking, because it, it's some pastors probably did take on the crusade of let's fight racism. Yeah. And, you know, but but I think it's naive to think that racists are watching their sermons thinking, wow, I'm convicted by this and now I'm going to turn away from my racist ways. I think that the majority of people just saw that and you know if if the if the ultimate goal was for us to just reflect on what's happening and for us to just maybe consider the idea that there are injustices in in the world then they they basically overshot that goal by uh, by a thousand because instead of just making us aware uh of these injustices they basically said you're you're you've been a racist this whole time and the fact that you didn't know about it means that you're even more evil than than you used to be. And that what that does is it that that makes people back up. That yeah. makes people back off. That makes people not speak up. That makes you know. And then and then you don't speak up, and now silence is violence. So yeah. you know most uh, normal, non-confrontational, Bible-believing you know uh, you know uh, be slow to speak Christians are now. Uh, having to justify themselves for being biblical, yeah. and 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 that's not a position that a, a a leader in a church should put their congregation in. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that touched my heart was uh, when in that video where you went to Melrose, and I could see the sorrow in your eyes. Uh, I remember turning to my wife and. Actually, that the video that you shared. Actually, that wasn't it. That, that wasn't was it. that was one before that. Wow, I gotta go back and look. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. There was one before that. Sorry. And the one before that one was you. You were. You could tell you were. You, you were angry. I stopped following you after that one. Just, oh. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to be an angry black man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but the one where you're in Melrose, you know, I wanted to reach out to you. I, I really wanted to call you. And I didn't tell you this on because I wanted to save it for this. And the first video, I was like, "Come on, man!" Like that's how I felt. Like, "Come on, man!" That that's not that's not helping. I just wish I knew which one it was. Yeah, it doesn't matter. 
Was it's, it one about about? Um, it's it's one. It was right before the riot. Because because the, the only one that I had, the only other video that I remember that I was very passionate about was the. I think you were in the how, in a building or something like outside of a like a, yeah, an apartment it, building. It, it may have been where I was discussing the fact that there seems to be a narrative created, and it's true, a narrative created around uh, black. America, where we are somehow subjected to disease, we're subjected to COVID more than that's the one. Yeah, yeah. that's the one that you're. Yeah, yeah. and 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 in all of that stuff, this propaganda, and then as well as the fact that you know we have the church eating itself. That's what I said. The church yeah. is eating itself because some want to meet in buildings, some don't. If you don't want to go to a building, then don't go. Yeah. But we keep eating ourselves. Yeah. You know, so that's probably the other yeah. Wait, wait, are you a COVID denier, bro? <laughs> no I plead the fifth. No. I plead the fifth. <laughs> but 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 when you know, and initially I wanted to 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 reach out to you, and the Holy Spirit actually stopped me from doing that because I've learned throughout the time that it's better to pray before certain things. You don't want to be the guy that approaches somebody that has lost a son and say, I feel for you. And you've never lost a son. Right. Yeah. That's like the worst thing you could do. Right. So I'm not black. I don't know what you, your experiences. Have I felt racism? Sure. Myself? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has there been cinches of prejudice against me? Yeah. You know, I, I talk about it in my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with a, a teacher, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. So, but I prayed about it, and and this is what I love about our Christian faith, what I love about God, that as I prayed, the next thing I know, <laughs> you send me a text. <laughs> and I thought, that was that day, you know, because I had prayed for you that day on how to approach you. I don't like doing superficial stuff. I don't. Like, if it's not in me to call you, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it for the sake of, right. let me reach out to my black friends. Right. <laughs> that, that, to me, that's, that, that's like how so many, fake. How many black friends do you have? Quite a bit. You know, and I'm going to be that one guy. Are you boasting about that? I have a, a best friend that's black. black. I actually do. <laughs> <laughs> like, really, really I do, right? <laughs> but I reached out to Sean because, I mean, I was looking through my contacts and I was like, man... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. You know, I don't have a lot of black friends. I, yeah. You know, that's just the reality. It's just reality. Yeah. It's not yeah. something that I've it's, actively... Your I mean, oikis is not... Yeah. yeah. That. I, I haven't actively yeah. pursued not having black friends. Yeah. It's just that's not you know, the circles that I'm you yeah, know, yeah. involved in. Yeah, no. I think there's traces of... <laughs> I'm going to get canceled for that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, uh, and then you text me and I was like, that's the Lord. Like, that's the Lord. And rather than wasting time and go, yeah, let's meet later on this week. And I thought, no, let's see if he's available today. And you came over and, and we had a good time. So let's go a little bit forward, you know. Well, actually, let's stay at Melrose for a minute because this is where I saw something about you that I really loved about. I saw 
you connecting to the pain of these business owners. I saw you not just, you know, angry at a whole, you know, circumstance. I saw you being proactive and going to these streets that had just been looted. It was a riot. It was a riot. The media is so wrong. I, I really do believe that. That the media plays a humongous part in, divi- in dividing the country, painting pictures that are not, and and you know if we don't do the homework, we're gonna copy paste. Oh, that looks right. They must be right, and we run with it. But you didn't do that. You actually went, and I can see the sorrow. I can see you actually connecting with these business owners and I love what you said you know you know uh you know some of them didn't want your help because to them at that moment they were going processing the same way you were processing absolutely the, the Floyd thing they were processing I just lost my livelihood you, you know small businesses they don't it, I'm, I'm yet to see a, a, a billionaire small business owner that doesn't exist I'm yet to see you know, many millionaires that own small business that doesn't have, we're thousandaires. That's what we are. Most, you know, small businesses. I'm a hundreder. <laughs> most small businesses. Yeah. The perks that you have as a small business is getting a dress for, you know, your, your little girl's recital, uh, being there for the recital. Those are the perks. I mean, and you get a little bit extra, but you're not becoming a millionaire when you own a small business. And so they're grieving. They're seeing a black dude. Mm-hmm. Yep. And to them, maybe I'm not saying all of I them. Look like wood just burned down there. Yes. Yep. So they're they're unfortunately Cautious. making it making it connect. Yep. And and it's it's wrong, but they're in their anger as well. And what you know they have to deal with with themselves. But I did like that you. To me, it seemed like you had calmed down. And you are now in, like, speaking as a Christian man. Not a, not a, just a black man, but a Christian man. Well, I, I'm, I would dare say that I was speaking as a Christian man that day, that the video that you're referring to. And the reason why I say that is because, again, you know, you know, as a history of, of African Americans in this country, we have been experimented on. Our, our, our women have been experimented on. You know, so there's a history of of uh, injustice done to a people that didn't ask for it, and when we're told that we're less than, we're told that we're susceptible to not being able to learn, we're susceptible to um, different um, um, learning disabilities. So when that is the narrative and what happened was that day that narrative came across the screen and I was so frustrated because I'm tired because there's going to be some black boy, black girl that's going to believe what they just heard. And even though I cannot go back on that screen and change it, I wanted someone to be able to hear that they are not, and the righteous indignation caused me to speak with such fervency and passion. And again, 
I ended by saying, we're, we're, this is all in him. He has to do this. And, and, and again, so I'm not correcting the host, but I'm just trying to say that for me, I didn't walk away feeling like I did something wrong. Yeah. It was intent passion about something that I've been seeing since I was a child that I'm tired of seeing as it relates to the propaganda that is portrayed on black Americans. Now, is it fair to ask, you know, and and I and this is why I wanted to have that this real talk because it's important. I, I think you know when you when we leave things off or we're afraid to share our hearts. I I, I don't know what it is to be a black dude. I don't. Um, I'm five seven. <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you have gone through. I don't know what experiences or you know the injustice that you have uh, gone through. To me, when I see um, America as a whole, unfortunately, I don't see that. I don't see the injustice. I see, I see multimillionaire athletes. I see, uh, I see Candace Owens. I don't know if you, you're familiar with her. I am. S- amazing, successful young black lady. And, and I don't like even saying that because she's American. You know, it's, I see first billionaire rapper, right? I used to listen to him when I was, you know, when, when gangster rap had just, you know, Dr. Dre. No rapper before him had touched that billion dollar mark. And he draws up a deal with Apple, boom, first billionaire rapper. To me, when I see that, and that's just a little handful. We had a black president. When I see that, I say, and this is me. I don't see the injustice because I see. Now, if we would have bounced back to 1960, 1950, before that, I would say, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, they're being held down. But there's so much success Rich success. Now, and when I say rich, I'm not talking about just money. I'm not just talking about, you know, a house or boats. I'm talking about rich in the sense of there's been breakthrough. There's been there's been prosperity on all levels. You know, uh, um, there's private schools. Uh, there's there's so much that. The black community has gained um, or, or a black person has been able to attain. So to label like, um, you know, when when I hear I, I'm I get insulted, to be honest with you, when I hear America is racist. Because that's like saying every, you know, yeah, American, and, and I, th- I, I, I think I think it's unfair. I, I, I think what is what's being spoken to is this country was built with racist as its foundation, meaning that the forefathers were not loving Christians. When you start do your research, they were they they didn't believe the book how we believe it. They didn't see it the way that we see it. Um, and so you can't you cannot rightfully build a country 
steal it from the, the, the natives, enslave a population for free labor, build a system, build a constitution that prevents the benefit being bestowed upon Native Americans and Africans because it was built racially to uplift and keep us because we were property. There was even no us. We were property. Yeah. So, so that's the foundation. So they, they colonized a country that wasn't theirs and pushed the natives out and had free labor. And the system that has been built has benefited that group of people more than any other people on the soil. That is, you cannot tell the story without telling that part. And what has happened is, especially in certain parts of white America, is we tell the story without telling that part. We don't tell the part about how George Washington viewed slaves. We don't talk about it. We, we promote a, a narrative and a history that's quite convoluted when you start doing your deep research and start looking at things. So it's more so that this, the system that's in place has to be looked at. There are great, beautiful people in this country. I've traveled literally all over the world. And I say that America is the best and the worst place to live. Meaning that because I live here, there are things here that I wish that we did different. I see the good and I see the bad. Yeah. I don't see it with eyes with, with, with this, you know, uh, with this, this idea that America is great because America is at the end of the day, it's empire. And I, I, as a, then this is just my personal belief as a believer. And I think we probably all agree. My allegiance is not to the American empire. I'm, I'm my, my allegiance is not to the, to the nationalism of America. My allegiance is to the King of Kings and my knee bows to him. And out of that, I serve from another kingdom in this kingdom. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I have a question about the historical significance of, you know, the, 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 the racial history. Obviously, no one, you know, no one is, uh, you know, countering that. No one is saying this was, you know, there wasn't racism back then and slave trading and all that good stuff. Um, I have a question, though, when you, uh, to hear your perspective on this. Um, I have a nine-year-old son. Uh, he goes to school, you know, public school. They do, you know, Black History Month, you know, uh, Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, you know, all that. Uh, you know, one time we were sitting around the dinner table, um, and he tells, he, he says, he says, Dad, I have a question. And I said, yeah. And he says, uh, uh, am I white or am I black? Now, my son is, you know, he's American of Mexican descent, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, two things came into my mind at that point. One is um, how healthy is it for us to continuously bring up the racial history of this country? Uh, is it for historical you know, basically, if you don't know history, you're bound to repeat it, right? You got, right. you have that mentality, yeah. right? But then on the other hand, it's like my son at nine years old would have no idea of racism that there is now, now in his mind, there's a difference between 
white people and black people. And he's trying to see where he fits into that scenario because, I mean, every time you're talking about, you know, America's racist, they're not talking about Hispanics. They're talking about whites. Mm -hmm. So in that scenario, he's at nine years old trying to figure out where he fits into that equation. And he's, you know, he's starting to realize and, 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 and ask himself, well, why did they not like black people or why this and that? And, and the other thing that I, that, you know, that, that came to my mind is now I have to explain to him that he's neither one of those. Right. Do I tell him that he's brown? I, I, I don't want to tell him that he's brown. He's not brown. Right. He's, he's American. Right. Right. So, so at, at nine years old, I have to have that conversation with him. Now you can argue that, you know, uh, you know, it's important to talk to your kids about racism and, and all this stuff. But the reality, like I, I saw on social media that was, it was going around. It was this, um, this video of a, of a of a black kid and a white kid. They were like toddlers. Oh yeah, and they run to each other. They run to each other and they hug. Yeah. Right. I actually like that. You know, right. I mean, yeah, it's super cute. Yeah. And also, I'm looking at it. Right. But the reason why people are posting it is like saying, "Oh, look at this." Right. Yeah. Right. When in my mind, I'm thinking, they're just kids. They have no they idea have, exactly that there's. It's almost like saying. Uh, oh, look at that! They're so cute. They don't know yeah. yet that they're not supposed to like each other. Yeah. And and I I I have a serious, uh, you know, reservations about the the necessity for us to continuously uh, perpetuate this idea that for for better or worse that races are are different from each other for certain reasons because I, I feel like you know especially doing it at such a young at such a young age when when they 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 will not be able to comprehend you know why martin yeah. luther king was killed you know so so uh i want to hear your perspective on on the the historical significance of you know and 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 you can also you know maybe talk about the the idea of black history month and how that basically came into uh you know, I get mainstream education and how that was kind of, well, that part, I don't have a whole lot of confident knowledge to say that with any sort of, you know, like this is, this is why, you know, like point, point on that last one. Mm-hmm. But what I will, what I will say is that all that I just shared was, was trying to give light to a, a context that is real. It's present. And it will probably always be because we're talking about an unregenerate heart. And I think that that's the part that as believers, we cannot skip over. And so again, that's why I'm saying I'm having to deal with what, what's going on in my own heart and then putting it before the father and say, father deal with every wicked way in me. Um, I think that's the requirement of of every believer um, when it comes to our children or, or to the situation that you're referring to. I think that that um, my wife was raised in New York, then they moved to Colorado, then Florida, but she was raised in a Puerto Rican family. She knew that she was Puerto Rican very young. There was no, there was no. Um, you know, brown or whatever, you know. It, well, it, I mean, we all know uh, about Puerto Rico. Right, you know, you know but, <laughs> but, but, but she grew up, but she grew up um, knowing that she was Puerto Rican and, yeah. and, and that heritage and all that, all that it possessed, the culture. Um, 
And then a couple of years back, she went to Puerto Rican, Puerto Rico for the first time. And when she went, it awoken something in her at a deep level of longing that she didn't know that she had because she was finally at a place where she was surrounded by her culture, her people, the history, the good and bad of that. Um, just, just, and so it, it, it just helped, it helped inform her a little bit about her. The reason why I bring that up is because God is so amazing at what he does. He took out of one blood <laughs> and made many nations. Acts 17. That's what he did. Out of one blood, he created many nations. And I was telling um, um, Casey last week, you know, when we look at the book of Revelation, we see this adoration of, you know, um, out of every tribe, every tongue, every kindred. There's, in other words, there's this recognition, even in God's perspective, of the differences in the nations. And I think that. Except Israel, they get a free pass. Right, right, right. But, <laughs> but don't get in trouble. Then. <laughs> but, but, but in in that in that view, you're you're able then to be reconciled first to God, yeah, then to ourselves, and then to each other. And so, if we have not been reconciled to God, then we cannot be reconciled with each with ourselves because there's things we don't know our, our, our own heart. There's there it's it's kind of like and I'm asking your question in the long way around, but it's kind of like the fact that we I don't think we've understood the gravity from a theological perspective of what happened when Adam and Eve chose to partake of the tree. They they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both were on the tree, but. Apart from God, they themselves had to distinguish what they deemed good and what they deemed evil. And that's the problem with humanity. We have humanity trying to deem what is good and what is evil apart from God himself. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and preacher mode. Yeah. And, how, and, how and, old and, are so, you? <laughs> and, and, and so, therefore, I can have a theology of elitism that can justify me taking another human being of another color, no matter where they are in the world and make them less than and demonize them because I have never saw the value that they are bearing the image of God Yeah. because I'm deeming what's good and what's evil. Well, I think the problem that we keep having is, is, you, you know, we're, we're giving biblical answers to worldly solutions and unless everyone magically comes to christ you know what are we to do in in but, this but but i'm with you but here's but but here's the caveat this is where the church supposed to be the counterculture community the church is supposed to be the visible expression of god's kingdom in the earth so everything that i have just said well, i can't wait till the church comes back to gospel Right. But but again, but that but that's what I'm saying is that when when crisis happens, we run away from the cross. We run away from Jesus himself. But then when crisis passes by and our agenda has gotten, you know, we, we, we don't push our agenda. We got this movement. We got that movement. We got this movement. We got that movement. But all along, Jesus is like, but I am the movement, the movement. I am. I am in the world, reconciling it back to myself. Yeah. Where is the body of Christ to be that visible expression 
of reconciliation. Casey, how you know when you used to pastor a church? Uh, how did you ever? How did you uh, draw the line, if at all, between preaching the gospel biblically and you know any you know politics that were you know at, at the at the current sphere of of what was going on? You know, one of the things that and and I, I was really blessed, man. Um, you, you had a question for me, or uh, uh, you know. Uh, I think it was that same day as well um, about pastoring, you know, last week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whether yeah, can you play politics? To, uh, oh. uh, yeah. No, to, to, uh, uh, to see the diversity. And I said, well, if you go yeah. over the mountain, you're not going to see that much diversity. In fact, if you go past, you know, if you we're talking South LA, what, which is South Central Los Angeles. Uh, it's South Los Angeles, thank you. <laughs> you know, if you go that way, you you are, unfortunately, and I think it's because of the cultures that are there set from yeah. years ago. Yeah. It's not that they're doing that on purpose. I don't think that every black church is uh, uh, going, you know. Don't want to white people. Yeah, we don't want no Hispanics. Let's, or, let's yeah. stick I mean, together. That, that debate has been going, you know, yeah. I- even in this whole, you know, yeah. gentrification you know, debate and all that. It, it's, it's uh, you know, people that immigrate from other countries, they they like to go where, where the, the people are. Where the store owner speaks their language, yeah. where the signs yeah. are their language, and they that, so, that's a natural gravity. So it's almost, it's, it's almost by accident that mm-hmm. they end up being all Hispanic churches, all black churches, but if you come to this side of the valley, you're going to see a lot more diversity. You're going to see more of the melting pot uh, that we ta- that we talked about earlier. For me, I was really blessed to to have a, a church that was very diverse. Um, uh, I didn't preach about it. I didn't say, you know, I want to make sure that we're not all Hispanics uh, uh, or we're all this. I didn't have I didn't have to say that. I just wanted to preach the gospel. I knew that God had called me to do so. And so to me, when, when you know, you, you uh, quoted uh, Revelations 5, uh, 9 and 10. Yeah, when, when, you, when, when you see that, when you see that every, out of one blood, God created all these nations. It starts with a relationship, an honest relationship with the Father, so that when we have that established, then from the pulpit, you're, you're, you're teaching from Genesis to Revelations, and you're not leaving things, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like you hear pastors, right? <laughs> no, I don't talk about this subject because this is not what we're called to do. Are you talking about homosexuality? That's one of them. Yeah. And I go, no, you were called to teach on that. You were called to teach on the whole entirety of this Bible without leaving nothing because you are a a mouthpiece of the Lord. You're to speak truth all the way all the way through. Is it gonna offend somebody? Yeah, of course it is. It offended us when we didn't know him. When we didn't know him and somebody would have called us out and said, Hey, you, you know, you do this. It would have offended us because, hey, so, so what? You know, we didn't. We, there was no godliness in us. We were in darkness. But when we come to Christ and we have a relationship with him, an authentic relationship with him, then at that point, you got to be real. You got to just, because he knows everything about us, right? 
And what you said was you meet you meet God and then you deal with yourself, which really means you're dealing with him mm-hmm. and yourself at the same time. And then you're able to lay it out to the public and you're reaching out whomsoever because that's who he came for. Yep. He came for whomsoever. You know, and, and, and so when I, I had people from all over the place, I had English people uh, from actually England, several of them, and there was, you know, there was people from Africa. There was people from different parts of that. And even I, I saw, even, you know, I saw the division even amongst that, you know, uh, Nigerian and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, Ghanaian, uh, you name it, you know, uh, th- there was even like, our food is better. You know, I had that. I had to deal with that. And I had to actually put the stop on that. I had to actually, and every time I somebody said something that was not biblical, my my assignment from Christ as a pastor is to correct. This is one of the things that I think the, 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 the church doesn't want to touch on. But the Bible is not just to make you feel good. It's not just for that. It's to correct, mm-hmm. to encourage, right. to teach who? Second Timothy 3.16. All the scriptures bo- breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. Yeah, that's what it's for. So it's not just so that we could come out all cheery, you know, out of a service. It's to grow. It's There's moments to correct. Uh, I had a, a lady that, you know, uh, had lost her son to suicide. And she, uh, I remember one time she approached me and she said, you know, I had a dream that, uh, and I don't think it was a dream. I think it really happened. She said, God sent me my son to tell me that everything was going to be all right. Now, what do you do as a pastor? What do you do in that moment? Do you let that moment go? Or do you use the word of God to correct that moment? And I, I think that we are missing this correct, the correction of the word of God in pulpits. I think it, it, it it's so needed. You know, uh, I had a choice to make there. And I said, I had to. I said, let me bring you back to, the, to where the Bible says. God did not send your son to tell you it's going to be all right. I said, your, your, your son is gone. Um, I can't tell you whether he's, you know, in mm-hmm. heaven or in hell. I don't know what he had Prior to that, I, I don't, I don't know, so I, I won't touch on that. But I do know that God did not send your son to tell you that it was going to be all right. He didn't, he didn't appear to you in a, you know, and you heard his voice clearly. That's not, that's God would never do that. Now, I could have, you know, kind of chickened out and said, "Oh, that's awesome." <laughs> That's so great. Did he tell you to tithe? You know, <laughs> I, I <laughs> could have said that. You could have done that. Yeah, you know, but I chose not to because I think this is, we when we want to talk about solutions, whether it's for racial healing, whether it's for sin in, 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 at large, this is the solution. And it it, it really challenges us, the darkness of our hearts. Because we deal with sin in the flesh. We're, you know, we're, it's skin that we're dealing with. Flesh. 
And our flesh fights against righteousness. Our flesh does not like the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, fe- our flesh doesn't want to do what, what, what pleases the Lord. That is reality. Of the, out, of the, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, that mouth speaks. Whatever you come out with, that was already in there. Absolutely. And you, and you kind of like you say it and you go, holy shimoni, I didn't think. I believe what I just said. Cause, yeah. Because you believe what you just said yeah. or you wouldn't have come out of your mouth. Exactly. Yeah. So when we bring the Bible into play, then we get some correction ourselves in, 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 some, in some moments. I told, I told this lady that told the truth. I bung her to the scriptures. And I love when, because when we use God's word in context, God always backs up his word and you don't have to defend it. And her response was, thank you for telling me the truth. Let let, let me just say this. I think what it is, I think that the, I think there are a lot of people who are born again, who have not been taught how to work, and I'm using that word very lightly, so just follow me, yeah. how to understand what are thoughts, what emotions, what are feelings, yeah. what is the, the working of the soul? Yeah. Because a part of the things that we go through is just is being a human being, how yep. God created us. And so for this lady, what I hear is what here is like, man, this lady was trying to cope with something. You know, she was, she was looking for, she wasn't looking here, but she was looking for something to give her comfort. Yeah. And yet when you communicated to her what you did, her eyes were able to see, oh, because inwardly we're just not used to, we're not taught how to um, understand the cruciform life. How, yeah. how does the cross shape our inner world? Yeah. And, 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 and how does that work itself out? in our day-to-day life. And it goes back to the fact that it's just not being taught in the body of Christ at all. And so yeah. we have a lot of schizophrenic Christians that are not consistent in their walk, in their walk, or even in their behavior, yeah. not saying that you can't make mistakes, but what I'm saying yeah. is that, but there's when, when Christ begins to work in you, then dead things fall off. That Yeah. They begin to, yeah, they begin to fall off and they begin to or because because he he himself is calling you yeah. to bear his image. Yeah. I think one of the side effects of of uh um having a culture in the church that is not solely based on biblical disciplines is that um the doors tend to creak a little more. <laughs> Well, <laughs> gets put some put some oil. You gotta There's un- nobody back there. You didn't have to close it. You gotta you gotta anoint that door a little bit, man. Jeez. <laughs> what I was saying is that I think that the church is reaping the rewards of a generation uh, of not teaching yeah. biblical values and teaching people how to find spiritual spiritual truth uh, on their own independent from you know a, a, you know a, a pastoral figure or a leader figure God's word um you know and and maybe <clears throat> t- to bring it back and to maybe uh, get your perspective on this 
I think that one of the the uh, the recent um, showings of this is not only the pastors who kind of just come out and start, you know, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, pandering during this time, but also the, um, in my opinion, the the ease in which a lot of Christians just kind of go straight into the the entire you know Black Lives Matter movement uh, or 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 supporting of organizations that are not exactly you know not by any stretch of the imagination bible based or support christian values now i know we had a conversation about that and and i think that your point was definitely valid and that there's a difference between black lives matter the movement and black lives matter the organization and i think that most most people would agree that that's that's accurate and that's and that's the case but um, when we had that conversation it was it was very early on into into the into this uh, movement, and uh, you know, but I think that the more and more I saw um, the how can you say the 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 transition from the co opting the the co opting now you know so now uh, you know I feel like a lot of Christians went all in, and and now they're having to like take a step back and say, wait, I, I, I was for this movement, but I'm not. They didn't do their research. They didn't yeah. do their research. And now, now, according to their social media, they are pro-black trans. They are pro uh, the dismantling of the, you know, the, the nuclear family. Uh, they want fathers out of the homes. Now, uh, so and there's no way to really explain to people, uh, I'm for the movement, uh, but not for the organization. And I think that, uh, you know, that that comes from a lack of discipline yeah. for people to just be still, meditate, and, and really seek God's wisdom on how to react to certain things yeah. uh, before they jump right into something that they maybe don't understand. And, and, and I think it comes from, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, like what Sean shared earlier, you know, Jesus is the movement, and we should stay on that movement because that is what we're called. We're, we're called to to be Christians and to speak, to point to Him as the ultimate King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. That I think keeps us safe spiritually. It keeps us aligned with God's Word. You know. Um, uh, and and it, and and I don't think it divides. I think it actually helps because at the end of the day, if our allegiance is to anything but Him, you know, when, when Paul said, "I die daily," he meant that. I think this 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 generation has not been exposed to that level of engagement mm -hmm. no. in, in the gospel and, and and to its detriment because I feel like you know I I've done youth I did youth ministry for a long time and I know for a fact that if 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 you don't give a young person purpose in Christ mm -hmm. they're gonna find it somewhere else yeah. because that's a, a need that we have as humans is to find yeah. meaning to Validation. find purpose to find meaning. Yep. And, and and they'll they'll put their entire life into you know Climate change. Yeah. If you you know until anything, yeah. Right. And and I'm not saying that's a bad thing or whatever, you know that's a, a climate change. A, a controversy for a different day. I'm gonna call it out. <laughs> it's what dumb. I'm saying is that if you if you if you don't introduce God to a young person in, in, in a meaningful way, 
then they're going to take that they're going to take the position of being the god and they're going to find yeah. uh injustices that they themselves need to correct and to the detriment of themselves because they'll put their entire lives into a movement instead of putting their entire lives into Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean that I think that's I think we all can agree on that one is that we but you know and and so how do we fix these things cuz you know what's the solution? I think it has a lot to do with individually, right? Yeah. I mean, I well I think I think if we if we start at a local church level, I yeah. think that um it be it I think that pastors or leaders in local church they oftentimes have the misnomer that the people that God has called them to serve know and understand what they know mm-hmm. and so they they it, let's just say that they're really theologically sound and um, they will kind of preach or teach as if those that are in that community already know yeah. And so we don't take the time to go through and really begin to develop um, um, orthodoxy, yeah. you know, in terms of, you know, biblical understanding, biblical theology, you know, how to interpret all the things that just comes with just understanding our faith. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus is, he is the person of our faith, yeah. but we have a responsibility as leaders as as pastors or whatever your role is is to really be able to communicate um the biblical narrative in such a way that people understand and 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 that their understanding their mind is renewed see see we're skipping the process you know so we don't tell them you know so we don't even tell them first present your body yeah and we skip that (laughs) yeah we skip that (laughs) and and then we try to get understand the will of god and all the stuff but they mind ain't been renewed yeah you know so so we have to kind of take it a little bit step by step. And I think that if the church is going to be effective going forward, we just might have to simplify what we think is already simple. But when you begin to talk about um, the inheritance of the saints, when you begin to talk about the Lord's table, um, you won't just do it once a month. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you, you know, so there are a lot of things that, that are, our, sanctification you know yeah. you know paul talks about you know the gospel that the, the gospel that has been once delivered to the saints mm-hmm. that they gave their life to present yeah. the gospel to to if you know so yeah i think that that several times when something like this has happened that has kind of rocked the the church i always find myself going back to the you know the term back to basics, right? It's almost like we we forget about the basics yeah. and then we have to come back. You know, like the 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 root, the word you know, radical comes from the word root, which you know is 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 basically back to principles. Mm-hmm. So you know, when people say you know we need to be radical, it's not that we're, we have to do something new that no one's ever done before. Everything is there's yeah. nothing new under the sun. It's just coming back to the root of things and that. In a time where you've gone so far beyond the 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 normal, that it seems that it's radical, but it's really not. You're just coming back to basics, and I, I think you nailed it when you said it's the local church. Because one of the things that I feel, you know, you know, as much as a as a, a you know digital marketer that I am, I see the, the 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 benefits of social media. If you want to start a business, you know, 
you you want to have access to that. But I I almost feel like there should be a requirement for a pastor to to you know to not have social media at all because I I think that that gives them an impression that gives them the impression that their audience is a lot wider than what God has given them. God gave you your local church to shepherd, to pastor, to guide. And if you're doing, if you're, if you're interpreting and, 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 and coming up with your message to, to cast a wide net on social media, because you're of the understanding that somebody in, in Europe might watch your video and be moved by it. Like, I think that's the, the, the most incorrect motivation for preaching the word that that has ever been this idea that we have access to the whole world this this mentality that let, we need to we need to preach to all nations with this one sermon mm-hmm. i think is is kind of the the that that needs to kind of change god gave you your local church your local context your local ministry so that you can best represent that community yeah. and guide that community into being, you know, if one of your, you know, church members ends up, you know, uh, going on a missions trip out of country and, and they plant a church there and they have a huge following and now they're a mega church pastor somewhere in, in, you know, Australia, then, you know, that's great. And you can say, you know, that, that you took part in that, but that doesn't mean that, you know, when you're streaming on your Instagram, that you're trying to reach those people in Australia, you know, uh, you know what I mean? Like it definitely has to do with the local church. You know, I almost wish that social media would not be allowed in church so that you can get the message from the person who was, who was ordained to give you that message directly. So with that being said, so if what we're talking about wasn't happening prior to COVID-19, then what are the churches doing now? that COVID-19 is steer, steering the ship and we cannot gather. So, so in other words, so that foundation now of community that is really what makes the body of Christ, the interaction, the touch, the hug, yeah. um, the conversations in person, the, the shared meal, all of those things are part of our culture and our faith. Now that has been removed from COVID-19 now we're having to figure out how to move forward now. And a lot of churches are relegated to social media, but there's no foundation for the social media to stand on. Yeah. Yeah. My, my professional opinion is, and a lot of marketers, especially church marketers would agree that if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to be a digital church, then you really need to be, you need to have the mentality that you are a church with two campuses. Uh, your physical uh, building campus, and then your online campus. And those have to be treated as such. You can't just stream your physical service and think that you're checking off the box. Social media is a completely different animal. Uh, you, you need to have, a, you know, preferably your own uh, a, a, an online pastor that can be responsible for that flock if you're trying to grow that audience. Because one of the things that you do is if, is if you're just if you're just a normal church and you stream on social media, basically you're incentivizing your church to just not show up, to just watch on social media. And at the same time, those who are watching 
or, or who come to know you through digital means only, you're disincentivizing them from ever coming to your church building. So there needs to be cross promotion continuously where you're getting people to, you know, you know, now that's more of like the, I would say the business side of things, you know, you know, marketing and audiences and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's a more important role that the church plays. I mean, COVID-19 is probably, uh, it's probably the anomaly. You have to ha kind of have a hybrid model at this point. Most churches haven't, you know, it's, right, it's been right. months and they yeah. haven't figured it out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, unfortunately a lot of them are still, uh, you know, for, for, for better or worse, they're still on this, you know, movement. Um, and they're still talking about how injustice and everything, you know, uh, um, what's today month yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday was, uh, father's day. And so, you know, well, let's do, um, how, uh, so, you know, father's day injustice, right? Like they're still trying to like you know, uh, ride the coattails of this movement because there's, there's, they're really kind of almost out of ideas, I think, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, because it's very hard to translate um, the gospel digitally where it makes an impact to your congregation because uh, I would argue that a lot of churches who are still doing online church, they've probably lost, you know, 50, 60% of their congregation, not lost in that they'll never be back, lost in that they're not watching the content because in reality most churches they watch netflix they watch netflix <laughs> most churches you know you know it, if you had a choice whether to watch your local pastor fumble through an online service or watch right. elevations right. churches you yeah. know massive production with amazing sound right. surround sound worship i mean yeah. you're going to lose that battle lose. <laughs> so unless you're providing substance for your audience through a digital platform and you know these pastors have to stop thinking that they're reaching people in you know argentina like yeah. so so somebody saw you from argentina okay and now what now what <laughs> you know how many churches are in argentina like yeah. let them figure that out like yeah. your goal is to communicate the gospel message to your uh, audience yeah. through whatever means you have available but you know it has to be s substance now the the next thing I, I want to talk about is that it's very current. How do we feel about this? The demand to defund the police. You know, um, it's not uh, defund anymore. <laughs> it's uh, what is it called? They put a name, another name on it. It's uh, I forgot what it was. You just ruined the whole podcast. I just ruined bro. the whole podcast. I'll edit this part out. <laughs> but. You know, uh, police reform. <laughs> Is that what it's called? No. Well, I mean, I think it's been police reform this whole time. It's just certain people said defund the police. It sounds great, just like you know, it, it's it's almost like the counter to uh, build the wall, right? Yeah. I mean, it sounds nice, and then you have to kind of backtrack it a little. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 you know, it, it's it's um, you know, Chicago, for instance, just this on Father's Day weekend. If I'm not mistaken, saw a hundred and four shootings, a hundred and four shootings, fourteen of which were fatal. This is not Afghanistan. This is not El Salvador. It's not the cartels in Mexico. This is in our backyard. And when we see violence at that, you know, and then you have this these autonomous 
zones that they're calling, right? And, you know, uh, Atlanta, just the other day, this is yesterday as well. Um, there's shootings every single day in these autonomous zones. And these are the same folks that are crying out, you know, defund the police, get rid of the police. What are our thoughts about that? I have no thoughts on that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> what do you think, Sean? Um, so I don't agree with the premise at all. I, I I think it would be unwise. And so here's the thing. What do you mean at its core when you say defund the police? Yeah. See, that's 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 the question that I would ask. It's the yeah. same problem. You you can't you can't explain yourself in a hashtag. It's, right. It's difficult. Right. Yes. So, so again, so the the phrase sounds great in the moment. Not sounds that not it sounds great to me. I'm saying it sounds yeah. great. It sounds catchy. Yeah. You know, it's only two words. No, three. Um, you know, you throw a hashtag, and you know you. So, but it doesn't. It doesn't speak to the system that you're trying to deal with. Yeah. So defunding the police, if we're talking about trying to, for instance, I think that one of the most damaging parts about the police system is the blue, co it's the blue code. It's, it's the code that keeps you silent even when you see injustice as an officer. You can't say nothing. You, you're in a gang. Yeah, because you'll be labeled. You, you'll be labeled. So... Um, even if you are, you're wanting to say something because something was really done wrong. Yeah. You can't. So that particular piece, police officer that has made a bad decision might be a pattern, but you have this officer with integrity, doesn't have to be a believer, but just has moral integrity when it comes yeah. to the, to the serving, justice system. To, yeah, to serving and protecting. Yeah. He cannot say anything and if he does he's ridiculed ridiculed and he may be ostracized, ostracized and fired yeah that is a problem yeah so when i say well i don't say but if you say defund the police and that's part of your anatomy of what you're saying i can understand what you're saying but i cannot make a blanket statement and somehow put my name to it and say defund the police because one, it sounds ignorant, even in crisis. Yeah. And this is a, now this is a black man talking. Yeah. That sounds ignorant to me because when I pick up my phone to call nine one one, I don't want to hear a dial tone. Yeah. I don't want to hear crickets. Mm -hmm. I want to know that those that, that my taxes are, are being used responsibly by different aspects that we can get into, but yeah. whether it's training, whether it's going through, going through, it, it takes longer. It takes longer to be a barber than it does to be a police officer. So you cannot legislate people's heart and you can't figure out people's heart during the Academy. But when their heart is shown within the police system, then there needs to be accountability. And so I can't just say directly defund the police because I think, and that's what, when I just talked about it was just one little area. It's not, it's so much more. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's very, I think it's an easy way out Yeah. to say defund the defund police. Defund the police. Yeah. 
you know, you, you look at, we're in Los Angeles. Um, I don't know the exact amount, maybe you, you can Google that, the, ex, the exact square footage of just L.A. County alone. Just L.A. County. It's massive. There's L.A. County alone is bigger than some countries. That's how huge it is. And you, I, I do know that there's about 10 million, 10.3 million residents within mm-hmm. L.A. County. Yeah. And LAPD which is the biggest department that we have here has only nine to 10,000 police officers. When you look at the math of that, and when we use the word very loosely, defund the police, they can barely handle what's already here. What's already here. The response time is, is, I mean, it's pretty, pretty darn quick. If you, I, you know, uh, I've been on the other side of the boat. I can tell you they get there pretty quick, you know, uh, especially nowadays. You know, uh, we, we uh, I ran into this um, uh, on Twitter. There was this one incident where in one of the autonomous zones, uh, somebody got shot and the ambulance was called in. And all of a sudden, there's like a gang of bullets flying all over the place, gunshots all over the place. And you could see that it's a, somebody was actually, there was a lot of people filming it. You could see that. And the ambulance said, nah, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not gonna. And so now they're refusing to go into these zones, and rightly so, because I'm not going to go in there and get shot. Nobody's going to do that. And, and, and so the very f- same folks that are uh, are crying to, defund the police and the whole nine yards. And here's the thing. I think there's bandwagoners in, in what's happening. I don't think that, like, because I see when when the looting and the, the riots were happening, I saw a lot of white folks, a lot of Hispanics, you know, when it came over here in, in uh, you know, a, a lot of them. I saw them. It wasn't a movement. It was, how do we, it, they were opportunists. At that moment, I got a lot of uncles who had new shoes after that. <laughs> Out of nowhere, like, right? You get them shoes at. <laughs> where'd you, where'd you, you get, get them Jordans from? Where'd you get ten <laughs> pairs of all-white painters Reeboks. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> you know, uh, so that happens, and, and 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 someone wrote on that Twitter uh, uh, feed, you know, you let him bleed out. It's not that someone let your friend bleed out. Is that you decided you don't want no no police and no help from your county, and you put blockades all over the place, and no one in their right mind is gonna go walking in there trying to rescue anybody right now. Can you please get off Twitter? You know, <laughs> we just but, agree but, that you shouldn't be on Twitter. <laughs> but but this is this is real. This is this is what what's really happening. I th- I think defund the police is an emotional response to a an issue that is both emotional and practical. Yeah, I think one of the things I see all the time um, with this debate is you're always gonna f- you're always gonna have this debate between between personal uh personal experience uh and and data and statistics and i think the 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 real danger is that neither one of those 
is giving you an accurate picture, you know, because you, you, you get this, you know, the way I've seen it presented is, is, uh, you know, a, a black person is saying, you know, well, I've been stopped by the police and I've been racially profiled and I've been, I've, I've, I've experienced this myself. Now you can't come to that person and say, that's a lie because based on these statistics, this is very, very small percentage that's happening. You, you can't do that because what you're doing there is you're denying that person's, uh, you know, experiences. It's, 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 you can't, you can't do that, but yeah. then you can't equally say these statistics are not true because I've personally experienced the opposite of these, of these statistics. So if you always, if you, if you're always going to be engaged in an argument between personal experience and statistics, you're always going to lose. Yeah. You either have to both be uh, uh, debating the um, the interpretation of the data and the statistics, because even statistics, you know, I hear a lot of people saying data is, is truth. Data is not truth. Trust me. I work with data all the time. I can manipulate it to, to seek yeah. the outcome that I want. Uh, you know, it has to be justified, right? But you can debate on whether the statistics are accurate and representative of, you know, because all the data in the world is not going to tell you uh, how many times, you know, somebody looked at you funny or how many times uh, they follow you around the store to make sure you don't steal something or it's not, that stuff's not going to be in statistics because it's just something that you experience. Yeah. You know? Um, and uh, so I, I, every time we have this debate, nothing ever gets solved because you're, you're, you're arguing two different, completely different, uh, you know, systems. Um, so this whole defund the police thing, I feel like it's it's a it's an emotional reaction to um, to the personal experience part of this equation, uh, and police reform is the practical solution to the to the stats mm -hmm. and data side of this equation. So somewhere in the middle, there's a solution. It's just no one's interested in finding it because each one is having too much fun in their side of the argument, uh, and and I think that it would be it would be amusing um, this whole to watch this defund the police movement fall flat on its face if it wasn't for actual politicians that are actually implementing this in different places, and I think that's yeah. probably one of the scariest things. Yeah, uh, and that's going to be a social experiment that a I don't want to be in and it's it's destined for failure. Yeah. You know, I, uh, unlike both of you guys, I, I lived on the other side of that coin. Um, Why would you assume that of me? <laughs> I shouldn't assume that about you. Man, you just I'm took away sure all you... my street cred, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, um, I've been pulled over out here. Um, I live in a really nice uh, city. Um, I've been pulled over uh, in Los Angeles County um, since I've been out. And one of the things that I've experienced is that because of my rap sheet, it's a, you know, I, I had a lieutenant here, uh, Lieutenant Nina McEwen, and you could listen to her uh, interview uh, on the podcast. But uh, I said this to her. I said, you know, I don't know why uh, there's so many police officers every time I get pulled over. Uh I guess I'm still in their system. And she said this. She said, 
um, Casey, you will always be in our system, right? And I uh, thought, oh, dang. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, like that? <laughs> the blood didn't work in the computers. Yeah, the blood of Christ didn't. Yeah, you can't put a note. He's born again now. That, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know? Nope. But, you know, and in those four incidents, I literally had 10 to 15 to probably 20 police units behind my vehicle. I understand why. Because the license plate is run, my name pops out on their screen, you know, they come to the to the door, I give them, you know, license registration, boom, it's there. And I can see why they 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 have to assume that I might not be having a good day. I might have just fought with my wife. They don't know me. Those police officers don't know who I am. And then when they find out who I am in the past, I don't blame them for taking the precaution. You know? I, I had that conversation with, with uh, somebody else, and they were they were talking about how, uh, you know, people call the cops on them all the time. If they're walking, if they're walking the street, they they get the cops called on them. Yeah, and the police show up, and they, I mean, unfortunately, the police have to assume that whatever the person said on the call is legit, is is accurate, right? Yeah. If, if somebody calls and says, "I think they have a gun." You know they're gonna come and 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 act as if that's the worst case scenario, yeah. right? So, in that scenario, it's not the police officer who's racist; it's the person who made the call, probably that is yeah. that is discriminatory or or, or racist or, or assuming something or or just trying to get somebody in trouble just because, yeah. uh, you know. And and that comes back to you know, uh, to the 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 biblical idea that whoever is guilty of the crime needs to do you know the time. Basically, yeah. so that I think that idea has kind of it, it's a lot easier to just blame a group instead yeah. of, you know, the, the individuals who, who are doing that. That being said, though, there is definitely evidence that the training and the basically the, the lack of training in this, at this point of law enforcement in, you know, de-escalation training and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. all the talking points are, are all there. Yeah. And and there there is room Lots of room for improvement. For improvement. Yeah. I don't, and and the, the reality is that I don't think anybody is debating that at all. Yeah. Exactly. It's just it's just we're 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 not arguing that we're just yelling past each other. You know when when, uh, when I had a, an FBI agent that I interviewed here uh, not too long ago, and that's one of the things that he brought up. He said, you know, when because he was in local law enforcement before he became an uh, uh, an agent for the FBI, and he said one of the things that the the community at large doesn't understand that is that. When you go into the academy, you're going in there with a high school diploma or a GED, and you're going through some training. But you're not going through training where you're like, you know, understanding ethnicities, uh, understanding behavior uh, patterns, behavior patterns, tribe, yeah. you know, because that exists. Yeah. There's no coaching in that. But there is when, but the FBI is different. Yeah. You have to have a, you know, sociology degree. You have to have a yeah. bachelor's. Bachelor, yeah. You have to have these things. Well, I mean, the unfortunate thing is there. that situations like this, you know, this whole thing that happened and now, you know, this 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 entire anti-cop movement, uh, unfortunately, has a, a side effect which makes normal good you know, honest people not want to join the police force at this time, right? So mm -hmm. what you're going to get is a bunch of knuckleheads who just want to go and, and 
and and you know, crack skulls uh, out of vengeance. And yeah. unfortunately, that it doesn't help the situation no. uh, for us to you know to talk about police in in in, in a generalizing way. Yeah. You know what was um, I saw something doing all this. You know, it brought tears to my eyes. It was, I forgot what city it was in, but it was, you know, the, the um, National Guard had, you know, were, were posting, you know, had their posts. I don't remember what city it was. It was in Los Angeles. Um, but this, the guy that was spewing this garbage was a black young man. The, the National Guard that was taking what he was saying was a black young man. Yeah. And the, the pro this guy that was protesting was spewing the most obscene verbiage that you can ever hear to this young black man who maybe dreamed was to be in the National Guard. Yeah. Or do the National Guard so he can go to school, get his education paid for. We don't know yeah. what his reasons were, but he was there doing a job that he probably didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And he is being called Uncle Tom. He's been called, you know, all of the, the... The patience from these people. Like, I mean, I've seen a couple of those videos. You know, I, I'm pretty sure you got that one. I got one where they were talking to a, a Hispanic young cop and they were just letting her have it. And she she was like two seconds away from just going off. And the officer behind her tapped the shoulder and said, like, just relax. Just calm down. Just basically just stand here and take it. Yeah. That's your job. And it was just like, man, the patience <laughs> in some yeah. of these scenarios yeah. is crazy. And and it's and it's kind of where as a I say as a black man, it's like, man, really? Yeah. Like, really, this, he, whether you believe it or not, he's trying to do something that right now your eyes can't see. Yeah. And why is this important? Because if there was something to happen to this city of some type of major catastrophe that we had no control over, guess who they're sending? Yep, National Guard. They're sending the National Guard. So that same person that you have cursed and called out and called out out of his name, he would have to come swallow all that and serve you. And he would do it. He would do it because with you know, no problem, because it's, it's his duty and it's probably his heart. Yep. But again, it's like what Enrique is saying. We, we're going to probably lose good people or good people are not going to want to join because of the fear of backlash. Yeah. Forget from their community, maybe from their own family. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's another spin to it. You know, uh, hey, you're joining something that's we're that's all against us. That's against us. Yeah, and, and and again, we can talk about the origin of the police department, but at the end of the day, we have to make a fundamental shift and pivot somewhere. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like where I'm able to recognize the history. The systemic aspect of this society, yes, that is all there. But there's a huge but. Yeah. There are a lot of great people. In law enforcement. Law enforcement. Military. Military. Um, the FBI. Yeah. You know, your local government. So we 
Yeah, we we can't just throw away these people, you know. Uh, well, the, and that and as believers, that's uh, again back to it, right? It's like the police are there for the evil doer. That's who God ordained to protect and serve, and to arrest the evil doer. That that's just plain and simple. And when the the scripture tells us that if you're not an evil doer and you're doing the right thing, you don't have to fear them. You know that's 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 there as well in, in scripture. I, I, I've had the pleasure of, of of having great friends in law enforcement now, and I've had I've had just I don't know tremendous mercy and grace uh, by by having these kind of friendships. You know, my best friend he's in law enforcement. I love hanging out with him. I love the wisdom that he brings. We've been talking, you know, uh, back and forth throughout this time. And I kind of sit back and I go, and, I, and, and, you know, he'll share something with me that I wasn't even thinking. That I wasn't even like, that wasn't even in my radar. And the simplicity, the wisdom behind it, I go, wow, I, I, you know, that makes total sense now. I think that that that's so important. You know, we need these people. We really do. Just as there's bad people in the church, let's I think we all three can agree. Are you talking about celebrity pastors? <laughs> there's there's bad people. <laughs> there's bad I got, people in I got Sean to snort. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah, wait, you don't have his agent. You know, you have an agent. <laughs> I got it. I just, I just asked his wife. She sent me the. Oh, that's hilarious. But you know that that's we need these people. We we really do. They're good people. And just like how there's bad people in the church, I've seen some. Have you seen some horrendous things happen in the church? Foul things. Yep. To by me. leaders. To me. To you. Yep. Same thing. Yep. To me. We've. Se- but we don't go. Let's get rid of the church. No, no. It, it, it's you can't label this little group of people and then just paint it with a big old brush and go. They're all like that. No. You know, if that was the case, you know, like there's people that say, you know, you know, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites in there. Yeah, well, there's hypocrites at your work. That's why we're in church. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. hypocrites. <laughs> There's 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 hypocrites in the laundromat. There's hypocrites everywhere. That you still there's hypocrites in your family. You're still family. You're still going to work every day, amongst those hypocrites. And maybe you're the one that's the hypocrite, right? So here's a police state, a police um you know department, and I could tell you from every police officers that I hang out with, that I talk to, they all are grieved by those that are not doing the right thing. They do not like that. It makes them look bad. It makes them look bad. Absolutely. I think that the reform needs to take place. Absolutely. I think better training, longer training maybe. I think, um, you know, uh, uh, um. Yes, reform, but you can't take away the funding. Yeah, and, and, and I also think that 
anyone who would say defund the police and actually mean it, I think they need to either talk with someone or have a real deep self-conversation about what it means to go out your house every single day uh, for the f- and battle fear in yeah. order to do your job. That's right. I, I, I think that we don't give police officers enough credit of what their families have to go through, their, yeah. the, the spouses, whether they're male or female. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't want that job, and I'm grateful for those who do it right. Amen. You know, uh, uh, even dur- during this, uh, and I don't know if you watch the news, but throughout the... I watch the, Twitter. <laughs> You're on Twitter? <laughs> I stopped following everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, uh, during this time, the news came out that LAPD couldn't pay for the overtime. So to make up for that, they were going to get paid in vacation days. So they could take off X amount, you know, to equal the amount of overtime. Yeah. I'm going, what? Yeah, just take take six weeks off at that point. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, but but the police officers are going, no, we want we want we cash. Want, we want like, cash. I don't work for, for you know nobody. When yeah. you go to, to a job, you're you can't you, pay the bills with vacation. Days. Yeah, your your boss isn't going here. Here's a box of Cheerios, you know, <laughs> you know, in the equivalence of what yeah. you work yeah. for. No, we we work for money, and I, I thought, wow, that's that's horrible, man. That's the the job in itself is already dangerous, and you bring out a great point. These guys, these these men and women, exit their homes in the mornings, whatever their shift is at. And they don't know if they're coming back. They don't know if they're going to run into someone that is done with life and has no problem with turning a gun, a knife, a bat on them. They don't know. It's different day by day. So I think that, you know, the the, the church as a whole needs to get really, we can't demonize the police the, the departments. We can't. It's ungodly. It's not right. We need to pray about them, uh, pray for them, and then, like, go on a ride-along. Go, like, pastors, educate your people. There's, you know, I, I talked about um, this, um, the simulator that they have, and each department has one. Like, when, when you pull somebody over, when you, uh, you know, when when you approach, you, you get to a call, and, you know, and... It's a big giant screen, and they give you a fake gun, but you feel like you're there. When we look at news, when we look at movies, they'll play a big old, you know, 15-minute portion of, of an incident. When you're actually there, it's within seconds. It's three seconds, four seconds, and a decision has to be made whether you're going to live or you're going to die. And in every incident, you know, if my life is in danger, I'm picking you. Uh, anybody with a brain is going to say, no, I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm, I'm, I'm going home to my wife and my kids. You're done. You know, so I think education, just like we need to reform the police departments, the church needs some reformation within and be educated about 
these things and not just pander, not just, you know, give into social media uh, and, and all this stuff and then just, you know, disregard doing our own homework. I think that's that's needed in the church as well. You know, um, but I, I just want to say, man, thank you for 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 coming here. I know there's so much uh, other stuff. Um, I don't mind hanging out even more. Um, let's do an after party. Let's do an after party. Yeah, <laughs> a, a, a second uh, second uh, uh, podcast on this one. But I, this is the kind of healthy dialogue that needs to happen. I believe, you know, where it's not just one sided uh, on any on any of us. Yeah, and that we meet back home, which is God's word. This needs to happen for real healing in every area of our lives. You know, look, man, I, I shared with you what I did, what I said, you know, at, at, at the uh, Lowe's. You know, I won't get into it, but yeah. I shared that with you. <laughs> I'm not finished. Like, God's not finished with me. And those moments, you kind of open your eyes and you go, man, you know, I chose the wrong, wrong thing to say, wrong thing to do. I should have done better. I know better, and I still didn't do it. I think honesty with ourselves is, is so important right now. Yeah, and I, I, my last thing is I, I would say that I think that if if you are, you don't have to be a pastor or leader. I think in the body of Christ, generally, just as followers of Jesus, I think that we have Amen. to, we have to start having dialogue um, about the life, this life that we're living, because yeah. we're we're all we're all dealing. See that when we gather on Sundays, we have all these different families that gather together, but those f- families all go home. Yeah, we don't know. I don't care how well you pastor. You don't know all what's going on in people's homes and the trauma they may be going through. um, Just maybe the abuse, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, we don't know. And if those that are pastoring or leading at a local level do not begin to be transparent with their walk, it doesn't mean that you got to tell everybody your business but you have to be willing to share things that will let them know that we're really all in the same boat. Yep. Because at the end of the day, there is only one head to the church. Yeah. And that's Jesus. I don't care if you're an apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, deacon, reverend at the end of the day, there's only one King. And so those that walk with him need to be able to share one with another the things that are going on so that they'll know that they know that I'm not alone in this. I I really have someone who, who understands what it means to follow after Jesus, follow after Jesus while still being broken because I'm being healed along the journey. And and it it tells us, right? Confess your sins one to another, which we don't do anymore, which we, we don't do anymore that we, I do it on Twitter. Could be fun. <laughs> Does that this count? Guy, you know how I know he's getting tired because, because yeah. the, the sarcasm is becoming it's coming quicker and quicker yeah, and quicker. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here. My mom said I could only stay out until 
nine thirty. But you know, it, it's so that we could heal. Yeah, that's and it's it takes real talk. And at the end of the day, we're brothers. We're, we're brothers, even if we see different in certain areas. But if the gospel is the gospel, we're brothers, hands down. And I think that's so important. Any last words, uh, uh, Enrique? Yeah, when I was doing a study on this, and I, I kind of felt like it was 90% <clears throat> um, this, this mentality that, that we're, we're helpless. There's nothing really we can do. You know, um, I, I remember asking you this question, too. Is, is, is I'm a Hispanic, you know, father, husband, pastor. I live in a suburb of Los Angeles. It feels like what? What am I supposed to do in this situation? You know, I, you know, I'm I'm not a activist. I'm not going to go protest in the streets, and I'm not going to expose my family to any any danger or harm in the, in that situation. I'm also not, uh, you know, a, a, a political junkie. I'm not, you know, I'm not yelling at my Congress person, and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm that's not me. Maybe I should, but uh, you know, it it it. It puts you in a feeling of hopelessness, helplessness. There's really not much I can do. And uh, in, in meditating on that, I really just came back to, um, to uh, Psalms 46.10. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I think sometimes we forget that God is not surprised by any of this. It's, you know, this movement didn't catch him off guard. Uh, he's not regrouping and trying to figure out how to defeat uh, this. It's it's already been uh, you know ordained. So for us to just continuously understand that our hope in God and Christ for true justice uh, will come in its time, and and for for us. To, for not to not let things like this rob us from rejoicing from the good things that we have family friendship uh and and community and uh during these things i mean it 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 sounds like it's a it's a it's a cop out but the most powerful thing we can do is 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 truly just pray and ask for god's you know uh, uh hand to be over all this and for the Holy Spirit to guide us on our daily walk with these issues. And that's crazy because his Bible looks like a MacBook Pro. Um, <laughs> but you know what? The, uh, thank you, Sean, man, for, yeah. for, for being here, man. I thank you for your honesty. I thank you for your heart. Uh, Enrique, I don't know what, what I'm trying to find out what to thank you for. But <laughs> yeah, it was a mistake. <laughs> I, I agree. Played. It was a mistake on your part. <laughs> no, thank you for your time, bro. Uh, uh, you know, just so you know. Enrique is the one that uh, edits these podcasts, and we are uh, uh, really uh, it's uh, thank you, dude, for what you do. It's a full time job to edit all the f bombs from, <laughs> from your colorful guests. <laughs> no, but thank you, man. I, I, I know I, I don't say it often, but thank you for the help that you give us here at the Shock Color Podcast. For all of you that are out there, um, thank you so much for your subscri subscribing to the podcast and i thank you for your loyalty love hearing from you um you know the posts that you the emails and uh just the, the comments that you, sh you share with us and how you 
you love this podcast, um, we want to tell you that we love you back. Thank you for being a uh, 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 part of our family here. And we're going to continue to, to uh, bring you relevant, real stories, real life stories of, um, you know, what life is. And uh, at the end of the day, I think we all agree Jesus is king. Absolutely. Amen. Love you guys. To the next one. Peace. You are listening to the Shot Caller Podcast with Casey Diaz and Joel Needler. You can find us online at uh, Casey Diaz Author on Facebook, uh, The Shot Caller Book on Instagram, and on Twitter at The Shot Caller BK. That's at The Shot Caller BK. You can also find us at CaseyDiaz.net and send an email to info at CaseyDiaz.net. That's info at CaseyDiaz.net.